Welcome to Change the Narrative. I'm your host, J.D. Fuller. I'm Susie Younger. An African-American licensed psychotherapist. I'm also a licensed therapist. We talk about the isms. We talk about the phobias. Anything that marginalizes and oppresses. As a white woman, I ask the questions white people are too afraid to ask. Everything we are not and everything we are is because of fear. Through a mental health lens, Susie and I will have difficult conversations with celebrity guests, political activists, and everyone in between. Our mind will tell us whatever we want to believe, but the truth lives in the body, and that's where change occurs. Are you ready to change the narrative? Prejudice meets power equals racism, says our guest today, Chase Linka Looper, soon to be legally Xavier Linka Looper, is a father, activist, and disabled veteran. If you want to hear the true story of the birth of the United States and not the whitewashed version, you must listen to Xavier. He has made it his mission to use his white privilege responsibly. He recognizes his power and uses it to educate about racism, LGBTQ plus rights, and women's rights. His platforms are quickly growing while he encourages and is sometimes provocative, but always intentional. From painting his nails black without apology to telling the truth about white supremacy and the systems that protect it, Xavier speaks and is not afraid to ask the real questions. And now JD will ask him some of the real questions. Welcome, Xavier. Thank you very much for that. I'm glad to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Thanks for making it so easy with your flexibility. So the first thing is that, do you find it, is it helpful when people say thank you for your service or does it offend you or not? The thank you for your service, I don't really appreciate that. When, you're, when you've been in this service for such a long period of time or even for even a short period of time, you've heard thank you for your service so many times, it becomes like any other greeting. Hey, how are you doing? It, it, you've heard it so many times. And thank you for your service is, it seems disingenuous because it's something that has been programmed into our brains as United States citizens. It's as if we don't even mean it when we say it. It's just automatic. It's just something you feel like you're compelled to have to say instead of something that you mean. So when I tell people, if I do correct people, when they say thank you for your service, I say you should thank people for their sacrifices, not for their service, for their sacrifices, because that's more personal. That's great. Thank you so much for that education. I always hesitate and I always ask the person, does it make a difference if I thank you? What feels genuine? So that's such an important lesson you gave us right off the bat. Thank you so much. And I do thank you for your sacrifices. Absolutely. Thank you. So I recently found your platform and I'm so happy I did. Because we about to learn, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Here we go. First of all, let's start off with where are you from? I was born and raised in the Houston, Texas area. And I moved to West Virginia when I was in high school. And after there, I joined the military. And I've been all over the United States and across the world ever since. Wow. Okay. And so what was your childhood like? Give us an overview. Um. 
So there were multiple times in my childhood where we had to use five finger discount to get food. We had a hard time coming up because my mother worked multiple jobs trying to get by. I had five brothers and three sisters that she was trying to support as a single mother. And there were multiple times we were evicted from homes. We had moved 18 times by the time I was 15 years old. And it was very diverse growing up, too. It was all sorts of cultures where I lived. And then whenever I moved to West Virginia in high school, it was... I remember I remember my first thought whenever I walked into my high school in West Virginia. And I, I walked into the cafeteria, and I thought to myself, I had never seen so many white people in one place. It was just... It was so many people that just looked like me. And it was astounding. Because it was a table that was just... Uh, a couple of people of color that were just sitting at one table by themselves and then everyone else just looked like me. Wow. I know that feeling. And if it's uncomfortable for you, imagine what it's like for me. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. So you joined the military at 18? Yes, I did. Okay. Okay. So you got out of high school. And went. All right. So you've joined the growing population of white males who are actively educating your white peers. I know you didn't learn this in school because school doesn't teach it. So where did you learn it? So I spent a good number of years believing that I was some sort of ally to um, the black and brown communities, the LGBT communities, the women community. I believed I was an ally. And it wasn't until I was... 20, in 2020, did I realize that I was never truly an ally to anybody. Even though I had done marches and I had done rallies and I, I argued, on, I, tr- I tried my best to be what I believed to be an ally, I realized I was never truly an ally to anyone, not only because I did not actually do the research myself, I just did what I thought I needed to do. I didn't actually delve into the concepts that I needed to understand in order to actually be a true advocate for the people that I was claiming to be an advocate for. And I would also do dark humor jokes, right? I would do these jokes about the people that I claimed to be an ally for, and I wouldn't even do it around them. I would do it behind their backs, and I would claim it was dark humor, but I would never do it around them. But in 2020, not only did I give up dark humor, I I also stopped, uh, I recently stopped calling myself an ally shortly after that, around 2020. I don't even claim the title of, what what do they say, accomplice as well? Accomplice. Yeah. Just try to be the best human you can be. That's it. Like, you don't need a title for it. Look, a couple of things you said that that are very important. One is that, when you look up the definition of ally, what do they do? They stand by in a war that's not the other person's. So that's the problem with ally, is that if anything, we should be the ally, brown and black people, because it's not our war. So the idea white people have chosen to be allies is about the safest place you can be. So I love that you gave that up. Accomplice, again, sounds like you're working towards our mission. And again, that's not it. I love the word advocate. I love that you use that. And the tricky thing about dark humor is it's used so often. And what does it really mean? If if you're making fun of people, then what makes it dark? Because that's the thing that people have to think about when they use that, right? 
It's like, you, it's not cool, but you're using it and calling it dark, which is in and of itself representative of the fact that it's not okay. It doesn't support what you say you want to support. So I appreciate all of that. The final piece that you made in that just one statement is education. You educated yourself. That's the piece that people are missing. And now you're choosing to educate others, which I obviously am a fan of. I want to go into your platform because there's so many good answers to questions that you offer people. I really just want to go through and have you respond to them, particularly on the heels of this horrible incident on Saturday, white supremacist is terrorism. On the heels of that, people need to be educated more. And it seems that I've noticed your approach is that you don't call them out. You don't do that. You actually meet them with uh, a sincere heart and you offer even how you've been misled, which I think is an interesting approach because lots of people call people out and you do something a little bit that sounds like it's all your own, which is very cool. Okay, first one I want to talk about is race-based intergenerational chattel slavery, which you explained it to someone thoughtfully. And you talked about, you know what? I'm going to let you talk about it. I'm not going to talk. I'm going to let you talk. Go ahead. Can you go over how you explained that to them? So race-based intergenerational chattel slavery was a unique flavor of cruelty that was specific to the United States. Nowhere else did they do this, and it was specific to Africans. Yes, other places did participate in chattel slavery, but not race-based intergenerational chattel slavery, which was based on the color of Africans, and it passed down from generation to generation. When an African's baby was born, that baby was also a born into slavery. It's just so powerful. And the fact that you get the person's ear to lay it out that simply. Have you gotten any kickback when you've explained it that way? Have anybody responded negatively? I I can't remember anyone responding negatively. Okay, yes, I've had one person respond negatively to me when I've tried to be like genuinely polite to them. It's because they believed that they knew more because I didn't present doctorates to them and they had doctorates and I was trying to have a conversation and they were all about, oh, I know it, I know more. I'm going to tell you what's what. And they just had no way of wanting to listen to what I had to say. So what doctrine could they show that's more correct than what you're saying, which is so clear? What what could they possibly have produced? A doctorate in theology. Oh, oh, they had a doctorate. Yeah. Oh, stop. I thought you were saying they had laid out things that proved that you were incorrect. No, just their title. Yeah, their title. Okay, that's enough of that. Another question, which is ongoing, the longer you do this, the longer you'll know, prejudice versus racism. And you said, quote unquote, pale skinned people created race. Take that away. Okay. So pale skinned people created race in order to have racism. So racism came before race was ever created. It first started out as a blood quantum where people had pure blood and unclean blood. Generally speaking, it was white Christian Europeans who had the clean blood, and then literally everybody else had unclean blood, and they just went on a mass genocide. They just went killing everybody. And then eventually, 
it evolved into the doctrine of discovery, which is still in play within the Catholic Church, still has the doctrine of discovery, which states that uh, white Christian doesn't specifically state, but it implies white Christian Europeans have the God's blessing to all land and waterways within the world. It belongs to white Christian Europeans, which led the way to manifest destiny and every other sort of doctrine that allow people who look like me to mass genocide indigenous peoples and steal their land. I'm caught off guard by the fact that it's still in there. I don't think I knew that it was still in there because I gave that aspect up a long time, but I didn't know that still, no one, the Christians are so many, I'm not going to say all of them, but so many Christians are connected to white supremacy. If that's still in there as the doctrine, then that makes sense. It's not real sense, but it just helps connect the dots. So you say, uh, I love how you said it. Oh, by the way, I love when you point to your skin. Don't ever take that out. Don't ever take that out. That's such a great visual. You say white privilege is the option to not do or explain anything. What, what is that? So white privilege is the option to not we can sit back and not do anything. We have the option to do that. We don't have racism targeting us, right? Every single day, we don't wake up with that. We, even as advocates, we can choose to not do that. We have that privilege. People who are on social media, people who are going out protesting, marching, if they want to, they can wake up and just not do that one day. And that's a privilege that they have. They have the option to not. And something else that I, I've brought up before is that there are multiple groups that are marginalized groups within the United States that will fall back on their white privilege every chance that they get. And they will use black and brown people to achieve the goals of that specific group. But once the goals of that group are achieved, they fall back on their whiteness and they forget about the black and brown people who helped them achieve the goals for that group. And it, it's basically, hey, yeah, I'm oppressed, but at least I'm not black. That's exactly what they're saying when they do that. Man, I don't want you to repeat that because that is so powerful, this idea that marginalized groups can and will use civil rights methods, agenda, and basic the dynamics to move their mission forward and then opt out. That's how did you figure that out? It's, I know that, but I don't know that a lot of white people know that and say that as clearly as you do. How did you put that together? I just watch. Wow. That's powerful. That is, I, that's powerful. It's amazing. Okay, next one. You explained convict leasing. Will you break that down? So um, convict leasing is technically not legal anymore in the United States, but they still do it. What the United States does is we give private entities up to $150 per person per day to private entities, right? So that they can take the burden of housing and feeding prisoners off of our hands, off of the government's hands. And then these private entities take the prisoners and force them to work either for nothing 
or for up to 86 cents per hour. And, and then what, where does that 86 cents per hour go to? Right back into the commissary right. to get snacks or writing utensils, stuff like that. So not only are these private entities making money off of the manufacturing that the prisoners are doing, they're also making money, they're, they're their money back from paying the prisoners if they pay the prisoners at all. Plus the government itself is also forcing prisoners to work. And if prisoners don't want to work, if they say, no, I'm not going to work, they will take privileges away from the prison. Just last year, $82 billion was made in the GDP and the growth domestic product of the United States just last year from prison labor. Do you know that they should not call those privileges? I think that's interesting in and of itself that they term it as privileges. I don't think that's by accident. It's basic human rights and they call them privileges. I think that is so intentional. And the whole thing yeah. is a product of enslavement. You've said that before. We don't use slavery anymore because we didn't come here as slaves. We were enslaved. And so this idea that they've just extended it, the school, what is it? The school to prison pipeline is real. And it's to continue the enslavement, basically free labor, because why would all these people with nonviolent crimes still be serving time unnecessarily when prisons are supposedly overpopulated, which we know they are? How does that make sense? How is an innocent man held for 31 years and then released and then take taxpayers money to pay the settlement that he's going to win because he was in prison unnecessarily. It's such a criminal strategy that continues to work. It's unbelievable. So one of my faves is what I have been teaching for years. I want to say it slow because I want people to really grab onto this. Individualism equals white privilege. Go for it. The United States has created this idea that black and brown people are a monolith. So anytime something negative that happens with one individual black person or indigenous person, that that particular instant gets labeled to the entirety of the group. But whenever something that negative happens with a person who looks like me, who is pale skinned, that person gets labeled as individual. Mm -hmm. So individualism is a white privilege. It, it is. Yeah. You say that so clearly and it extends even further than just that. It goes to the fact that European culture, white America, it, it's so proud of this individualistic way of being. And when it comes to the crime that was done Saturday, the white supremacist terrorism, killing those people, as soon as he was politely escorted out of the area, right, alive, no sooner than the next set of news came out, they started talking about his mental health problem. As if mental health is not an issue in this country for anyone who is struggling with the world and as it functions, particularly in poverty. I just think that's that, that they just managed to do that using that individualistic lens. Oh, absolutely. And and what did they do with, I'm not going to bring it up because it, it would have been, it, it'll be promoting yeah. white supremacy. Um, yeah. Yeah, look, they use our collective culture, people of color, people from the global majority. We are a collective culture. We function as a collective. 
in terms of ability to survive and to comfort ourselves and create community. And then they turn around and use that against us in a criminal sense to, like you say, make us all that one person. It's a very, I don't know, it's very strategic is the best word without trying to give it a compliment because I really don't. The infamous question, if you grew up poor, how do you have privilege? Your words, quote unquote, the white card. That's great. That's great. Poverty stricken Anglo people quote-unquote. What Talk about that. Us Anglo people tend to believe that if we grow up poor, we, we don't have any privileges. That Especially if we grow up in an area that is diverse, culturally diverse. I saw a comedian the other day who was talking about this. Where is their privilege, right? They were Their, their neighbor was black, and they were both eating plums or something like that. They were splitting plums. Then and the, the people in charge, the other Anglos who had all the money, had both of their money. White privilege isn't necessarily about what you have. It's about what you don't experience. It's about not experiencing systemic racism. It's not about having more than the next person. So that I think that's where the disconnect is from people trying to under well, Anglo people trying to understand white privilege. Mm-hmm. It's also can you can get hung up on one word rather than the whole system. The inability to put that together is basic math, and yet the resistance to doing so is so clearly about choice at this point because it's been out there so long and explained so many different ways. Okay, so I used to come at other Anglo people with a sort of malice. When I first started educating myself and seeing all of the disparities in our society, I was angry at other Anglo people because they didn't see it. But they have not been educated or sought the education that I have had, right? Or I have educated myself too. So my job as someone who looks like them and I have educated myself, it is my moral responsibility to educate them. Rather than having malice and driving them even further to be against believing what is true, it is my job to bring them to the realization of what is. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it makes sense. Okay, so the next one is, How is U.S. banning abortions related to white supremacy? Yeah. So there's this book called The Birth Dearth, I believe. It's a thousand dollar book. And it it goes into it. I believe it goes in depth about this. And there's a reason that it costs so much is because. They don't want you to learn it. So the concept is that Anglo women are having abortions at a higher rate than anyone else. And in order to keep the Anglo race intact and populated, we Anglo people have to keep abortions from happening. Yet, how frequently do you hear about Anglo doctors experimenting on people of color, give them hysterectomies, stuff like that. Like just recently, it happened at the border, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's clear. That's clear. That's clear. Okay. And which is why I, I have said to people, rich white women will always be able to get abortions. 
there's only one strategy as to why everything is being shut down the way that it is. And it's based in fear. It's based in fear that the global majority is what it is, which is the global majority. And there is such a fear that people will be treated the way we've been treated, that they are running for every old strategy that worked effectively and trying to reinforce it again. This is, it's like you said, watch, read a book, you'll see. So I'm convinced that white people are willing to learn these lessons from white people to minimize the impact of the shame they feel when a black and brown face is teaching it. So like you said, you approach them in this relational way and you try to remember when you didn't know and you offer the opportunity, you hold them while they get to learn from you, which is why I think it's working and you're about to blow up and it's going so far because I see how people ask you the questions. They don't ask you in an angry way. They're really just trying, I don't know, it's like they're, they're trying to, they're, they're trying to know you or connect with you. Like some people want to be you because they don't want to be ignorant. They don't want to not know. And so when the way they ask you, it's almost like they're trying to crawl into your brain. And which is why I'll add it to the males. Like, oh, why do you paint your nails? Like they have to know because it's almost like they want to be this person that you've become, which is a compliment in sorts. Just remember when you blow up. Don't forget to lift black and brown voices and don't forget to come back. Can we make that deal? Always. Okay, for sure. Appreciate that. So give everybody your platform handle so they know where to find you. At Logic by Link. I'm on, my largest platform is TikTok, but I also have an Instagram and a Twitter and a YouTube. Okay, so say it again. Logic by Link. Okay, Logic by Link. Okay, great. And also, you already promised to come back, so that's great. And... We know how you're changing the narrative, but I want you to put it in your own words. What's your idea of how we change the narrative as a nation? What does that look like for you? How we change the narrative as a nation is by educating ourselves. The way we dismantle white supremacy is by dismantling the white supremacy that lies within us in order to dismantle it outwards. Wow. Pretty powerful. So I I like these little dimes you come up with that are really easy for people to grasp onto. It goes back to to one of my things, which is the micro is the macro and the macro is the micro. If people haven't dealt with their individual racism that they refuse to own because they don't like how it fits, then look at how you benefit from a system that perpetuates it. Right? 100%. Absolutely. Like we are all Every one of us, no matter what race we are, we all have racial biases and prejudices. The only difference between the BIPOC communities having racial biases and prejudices and the Anglo community having racial biases and prejudices is racism. There you go. There you go. I like, actually, I like that you don't use BIPOC. I like that. I like that you say black and indigenous. I think it gives people their own identity. I think the white community has grabbed onto BIPOC to lump us all together to make it easier to digest. So don't stop doing that. That's a good one. Give us our own. All right, I'm going to give you the final word. What do you want to say going out? I believe I said it. In order to dismantle white supremacy, we have to dismantle it within ourselves before anything else. It was worth saying it twice. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Xavier. I appreciate you, man. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm coming back. Don't forget. Absolutely. All right, buddy. <laughs> Take care. And thanks for rushing back to, to get on the show. Yep. Be safe. Bye-bye. Bye.
Katie and I want to thank our fabulous producers at IM Music Group. And for all of you out there who want to do your own podcast, go to IMMusicGroup.com and the team will hit you back. Please be sure to like, subscribe, and follow wherever you get your podcasts. And also, leave us a review. Let us know what you think. Thank you for listening to Change the Narrative with J.D. Fuller.